Jesus. What you'll have me to 
all pray. Father, this morning we thank you once again that we can be gathered together, not all together in the house, but in this building, in this, your house. But Lord, wherever we are, we can be bonded together in a common mindset, with a common spirit, and we can reach out to thee and let these songs uh, set our minds in harmony, Lord, that we can receive your word. We pray that you'll bless this streaming this morning, bless this message 
Bless this time that we are together. Bless this entire weekend, Father, we ask. In Jesus' wonderful name, we invite your presence in a stronger way among us, Father. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen and amen and amen. By now, I'm sure everyone is aware of the uh, sad fact that my sister-in-law, Pramini Chand, passed away. And I was listening to the last service we had, and we prayed. Um, there comes a time when you pray that the will of God be done. We pray and ask the Lord to heal her, but if it was not his will to let her pass without pain and agony. And uh, I was informed that when they took the uh, life support system off of her, uh, in a matter of seconds, she passed and went, it went flatline. And so and that is a good thing. You know, concerning life and death, we want to continue to pray and maybe at the end of this service, we'll pray that God will continue to strengthen the family. But when it comes to life and death, there are so many philosophies as to what happens when a person is dead, what happens when a person departs this world. Well, death is a reality. And I remember many, many years ago, my mom was a part of this assembly. And um, I was, uh, it was a privilege to me to have my parents in church before they passed. It was, a, it was a privilege for me and Sister Chandri to have her parents uh, serve the Lord before they died. Um, her father uh, took the longest time, but in his last few days, he called Chandri at his uh, bedside and he says, Chandri, he called her and he says, Chandri, I would like to accept the Lord as my Savior. And I thought he'll never do that, but he did that. And he says, in the life, whatever is beyond this life, I'd like to be there with my family. And those were precious days. Those were precious things. If, you know, if I had not seen my dad in church before he passed away, it would have been a good desire for me to also have. But I was blessed and honored to have parents, my mother especially, that was godly, and she prayed for us. She prayed that God will save our children. And I believe that God answers prayer. And yet at the same time, I would like to say that he answers prayer. And sometimes the answer might not be an answer that we would desire. And it would be ridiculous if I make a statement like this. God does not always answer prayer according to what we ask. And that is a reality because not all prayer God answers the way you want him to answer the prayer. But God would either say yes or no. He would either grant your request or not grant it. Uh, he has the right to make the right decision. And that is why when we pray, we are to pray according to God's will. Pray when you pray like Jesus did in Gethsemane when he thought he would have died. He prayed, he said, Father... Move this, take this cup from me. He says, Father, uh, remove this cup from me. Father, don't give me this cup. 
Uh, he says this is a terrible thing. He was taking on the sin and the condemnation of the world in Gethsemane. And he asked for the cup to be removed, but then he concluded like this. He says, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. And I believe every child of God should pray like that. We should pray that the will of God be done. Because when you have lived the life and your race comes to an end, then that's the uh, time that you must depart from this life. And so we think about these things. And I remember when my mom uh, was there. And I'm, I think I am a very strong person when it comes to controlling my emotions, at least most of the time. And uh, I was privileged to have my mom sit in the church right here in Mississauga. And then I was privileged to be there at her funeral and uh, to do the funeral myself, to say the last few words at her funeral. I don't know if we have a recording of that, but, um, but it would have been a nice thing to have. But I did my mom's funeral and I did not cry through the ceremony. I remember a little bit pull, a little pull I had on my emotions at the burial uh, when they were putting the casket down. I backed away a little and um, I was there, but I was remained strong. But after family was gone and everything was gone and, you know, the Lord was good to mom. Uh, she was, she passed away on the 18th of January and it's, uh, it's the heart of winter. But that day was a good day. Uh, the sun was shining, the temperature just rose, and we had a good funeral, uh, for those of you that can remember. And when she was gone, the very next day, there was a fog that came down on uh, the, the, the Mississauga, and then it went back into winter months, uh, the winter month. And so I waited until the spring, and I bought me a little lawn chair, and I still have it in my garage onto this day. And I went and sat by the grave. Now, I believe that there is no one in the grave that is going to listen to anything I say. But it was a place for me to console myself or to grieve about. And I remember sitting by the grave uh, for many a days. I would go out there and put my lawn chair down and sit and think and cry. That's when I would cry. I missed my mom. And I sat there one day and I would always carry my Bible with me and, and a little notepad. And I sat there one, I sat there one day and I, I cried for my mom that was gone. I cried for my dad that was gone. I cried for my uncles and I started to name them. I cried for Uncle Peter, and I cried for Auntie Millie, and Auntie Mary, and Auntie Jane, and I went down the line, and I cried for everybody, that during the holiday time, they'll all come to our house, but they were gone. There's something about death that it takes you away. We're not here to live forever, and so I sat there, and, and I was angry, and I was glad, and I was sad, and I was uh, hopeful and I was angry and I sat down and wrote a poem and I've got this poem right here in front of me today and I would like to go through the words if you can bear up with me I'm not really a poet but um, I sat there and wrote an angry poem 
and I titled it The Reality of Death. It says, um, please love me now while I'm alive amidst life's storms of rage and strife. For now I'm here and soon I'm gone. This breath God give is not for long. One rightly said, where there's life, there's hope. Yet while alive, we still in darkness grope. Our minds are plagued with greed and hate. Man's love is drowned by man's fallen state. God tells to love the ones around. Even on our enemies must love abound. For life is short and but a breath. Today is life and tomorrow is death. Uh, so today, my friend, be good and kind. Be legs to the lame and eyes to the blind. Love today your friend and foe. For how long they'll live, we do not know. For death may take the ones we love. We console ourselves, they're gone above. We say they're in a better place. They're up in heaven in God's embrace. But if this is what death is about, we need to dance and jump and shout. Should we not then open wide the gate and for our loved ones covet this state? But death is real, a thing I hate. It takes our peace and confuse our state. With loved ones gone, we grieve and groan. Our dreams now shattered, we're left alone. So now I say to friend and foe, be not dismayed by what you know. Love, give and live as if it's your last. For life, life's a breath and death comes fast. And I wrote this poem because it dealt with the reality of death. And I thought it was important that individuals understood the reality of death. And when I think of history, I often wish I was in the days of the Apostle Paul. I often wish I was in the days of uh, the Lord Jesus when he did miracles. I sometimes wish I could take a, uh, take a time machine and travel back into the past and see what Moses did and what Jeremiah did. But you know, as I look back and trace back the history, our history, all the way back to the Garden of Eden, the most perfect man ever created, Adam. But what happened to Adam? Adam died. Sin and disobedience to God brought death. And Adam died, Eve died, so did Abraham, the father of faith. He died, and when I'm coming through the Bible and looking at all these individuals, no matter how great they are and who, how great they were, they all died. Elijah died, Elisha died, Isaiah died, Jeremiah died, Hosea died. Coming to the New Testament age, Jesus was the only one that died and resurrected, and he gives us a hope, and I'll talk about that a little bit here today. But Paul died. Peter died. And most of these individuals that we look back and we have our Bible written by wonderful men, they died. 
Not only are religious individuals in the Bible that's gone, but great men, great scientists, great leaders of the world. It would have been good to have Abraham Lincoln resurrect from the dead and see what's going on in America today. It would have been good if some of these great men of the past could come alive and see what's happening in the world. I often thought it would have been nice if Paul could be resurrected and I'll drive him around in my car. But you know, that's not possible. I wish my dad was alive. A fine man that I could just drive him around and say, Dad, looks what's going on. But they're all gone. And they have fulfilled their course and they're gone. And it is a reality that we must all face. And here in the book of Job, uh, Job um, in his grief and sorrow, he's making some uh, statements. And I want us to, if you can turn with me to the uh, book of Job. And in the early part of the book of Job. Now we all know the story of Job. And we know how this man uh, was the uh, wealthiest man in the East. He was a man that uh, was perfect and upright. Chapter 1 tells us in verse 1. He was perfect and upright and one that feared God. And hated, destroyed evil. And then it tells us in chapter 1 that Job started to go through some trials. In chapter 1 and in chapter 2, we were told of all the tragedies that befell Job. And you can read it in your spare time, not today, not while I'm talking to you. But I'll tell you what happened. Uh, Job uh, was um, just wonderful man and God. Uh, one day the Bible says that the devil... Uh, Satan, the adversary, approached God when the sons of God came and presented themselves before God. And it seems like the sons of God described in the book of Job were angelic beings uh, coming from different galaxies uh, and approaching God. But the concentration was made on one of these individuals, and that was Satan, that we call Satan, or we call him the devil, or it's rightly translated adversary. And um, I think his name was called Lucifer, if that was his name. Uh, he, there were many terms. He was described as the king of Tyrus in one scripture. He was described as the king of Babylon in another scripture. Uh, he was called Lucifer, the bright and shine, the shining one. But uh, he approached God and the Lord, the God spoke to the devil. And the Lord said to Satan, have you tried my servant Job? See there, the battle that exists between God and the devil is somewhat different than what you and I imagine exists. Uh, we're thinking, I hate the devil. Well, I really don't hate the devil. And that's something for a preacher to say, brother, saying, what's wrong with you? I don't hate the devil. I understand the devil, and I know that if it was not for the devil being there, I could never be an overcomer. He was created with a purpose in mind. And that is why we must understand that God is in control. God is in control. He is sovereign. And when we say God is sovereign, it means that he, it, nothing happens out of his control. If he allows evil to exist, it has a purpose. If he allows a sickness to come into your life, it has an end purpose. 
the last day we were in church, we looked at a scripture in, in Romans that says, all things work together for good to them who are the called according to God's purpose. All things work together for good. When it's your time to depart from this world, you cannot exist another day. There's scarcely anyone that has experienced that. Uh, there was a man in the Bible, his name was Hezekiah, uh, that he was, uh, God was uh, ready to take his life. And Hezekiah turned to the wall and he prayed and asked God to extend his life. And uh, uh, Isaiah, I think it was, returned back and told him what to do that he, God had granted his petition. Now, you might say, well, he got extended life. No, God knew he was going to say that. And God already knew what was going to happen. And God had already knew what he was going to pray because God was not taken by surprise. You see, God is sovereign. He's never like, hey, I'm in shock. I didn't know Adam was going to sin. I made Adam put him in the garden. And I don't know he was going to sin. Oh, God, what will we do? No, he wouldn't do that. God knew that what Adam was capable, he knew that Adam by himself could not have sinned, so he created a weaker vessel that would be led into temptation. And God knew that. How, why do you say that, Brother Singh? Because God had a backup plan before the foundation of the world. And that is why the last service was a beautiful service that if you have not followed it, you should go back and listen to the tape. It's a beautiful service where God charts out every day of your life. Uh, the days that you're up, he is charted out. The days that you're down, he is charted out. Uh, your appearance, God has decided on what you'd look like. Uh, if you're uh, Indian like I am, Guyanese Indian, he has made you that way. If you're a black or you're white, he has made you that way. Uh, if he has made you to approach life in the way that he wants you to approach life. Well, because of who I am, the world is against me. Listen, if you're a child of God, he has made you with that, with that in mind and a purpose to follow. Uh, you're to be an overcomer when it's all over. And you're not going to be an overcomer if life is just like a breeze. Uh, you must be able to face the challenges. I remember uh, Sister Chandry told me years ago, and I've said this over and over again, it takes stormy waters to produce skilled sailors. It took stormy waters to produce skilled sailors. And someone says, don't run from the storm, and there's a storm hitting your ship. Adjust your sail to compensate so you can ride out the storm. And so when we say God is sovereign, he's, he's aware of all that happens. And so everything works together for good to them that love God and are the called according to his purpose. We live in an age that is very fickle, uh, very vacillating, very things are going contrary all around. And in this age, and maybe one of these days I will get to that, I have a lot of days. I have a lot of days to talk to you. With this lockdown, man, I'll be talking to you until you're tired of hearing me talk. But guess what? You won't be tired if you're incorporating what I preach in your life. You'll be anxious to get the next message so you can add to what you've got. 
It's like your bank account spiritually is on the increase. Every message is to add to your spiritual bank account. What are you doing with it? Well, I'm going to listen to it at my own time. That is why it's only a select bunch of people that will be in the bride of Christ. That is why our attitude is responsible. And so the devil came to God and God said to the devil, Have you tried my servant Job? He didn't say the blood of Jesus against you. No. The devil came. He says, well, I got a challenge for you, uh, you adversary. Here, I've got a man down there. His name is Job. Have you tried him? God knew he tried him. God knew the devil went and tried to tempt Job. And the devil said, well, uh, he is only serving you because you built a hedge around him. Well, the hedge did not come accidentally. Job lived right. That is what the psalmist David meant when he says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law that he meditate day and night. What shall he be? He'll be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. Well, I'm a tree that um, leaf is withering. Well, it's because you are not. You're walking in the counsel of the ungodly and you're sitting in the seat of sinners. Uh, you're not meditating in God's word, word and let the, the word of God be a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. They are principles that must be maintained in your Christian life before you can receive the benefits that comes with it. All right? And so uh, David says, He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf shall not wither. When your leaf is withering, you have failed in that first requirement. See, there's a principle for everything. Uh, you buy a car, there's a principle to operate it. I remember we've got, we bought a new used vehicle, a nice tongue and country uh, car, vehicle, van, and Sister Chandri and I, we were so proud that we've got a new vehicle now, spent a lot of money for it, and um, uh, we got a remote starter now. So I stood inside and remote start the car, and it started to run. We said, okay, our car is running on the outside, let's just go now and get in. So many we went, before we could touch the, the door, it it unlocked. Whew. Wonderful. And so we got in and sat down. And we all buckled up. And then I tried to put it in gear. And it did not move. The gear stick was stuck. Nothing seems to work. And I said, what's wrong with this car? You see, if we had read the manual, we would have learned that when you remote start the car... And you get into the car, nothing will work until you push the start button to undo the remote start. Otherwise, somebody steal your car and take it away. So the car has an automatic protection principle. You must have the key in your pocket or in your possession. And when you go in and sit down, you push the starting button and it sets the car into the right mode. And then you can put it in gear. There we were condemning Chrysler, condemning tongue and country condemning the used vehicle, condemning everything. 
Because there's a principle for everything. There's a principle in hanging a toilet paper. There's a principle in cooking your food. There's a principle in your workplace. There are orders and principles and guidelines for everything. A microwave is intended not only to warm your food. There's more principles about using a microwave. Read the manual. They say when all else fails, read the manual. And so the principle must be adhered to. And God's blessing is conditional upon his, his obedience to the principles of God. And so when the devil said to God, you, you, you put a hedge around him. That hedge did not come accidentally. That hedge was there because this man feared God and walked rightly and lived rightly, even though his children did not live right. And so all of that happened in chapter 1 and chapter 2. Job went through his trials. He lost all his wealth overnight. Then in, by the time you get into chapter 2, he already lost his family. And they're all gone except his nagging wife. And she might not be a nagging wife. She might have loved it so much that she hated to see this man suffer. And so she looked at him. And now he's got boils all over. The trial is still on. Job is the working article. God and the devil are standing aside and looking at the progress. The devil is up to put take his wealth, take his family, put boils on him, and see him curse God. And Job did not. In chapter 1 and chapter 2, Job did not charge God foolishly. You know the entire book of Job, there was nothing said from Job about the devil. Because Job understood that God is sovereign. He understood that the devil could not have done anything to him that God did not permit. It would have been something if he knew the devil was going to hurt him. And so he started to hate the devil. And he hate Satan and hate, hate, hate. And before you know it, this good man started to foster and uh, uh, encourage hate in his life. The devil had a principle. So Job could not... Uh, there's a principle that the devil worked with and he had a job to do, so Job could not accuse him. He accused Job, but Job could not accuse him. The devil has a job to do on me, and my job is to obey God and counteract the attack of the tax of the devil. So chapter 1, chapter 2 passed by and Job did not charge God foolishly. His wife came to him and says, curse God and die, and he did not. He says, you're a foolish woman. I can't do that. But by the time the boys started to get to him, and then he had, he had four comforters, three sitting around him, and a fourth was there. But the three sat there, and for seven days they're watching him and not saying a word. And I told my churches, if ever I'm sick, and you want to visit me while I'm sick, you got ten minutes to do that, and certain days I'll have you visit me, and certain days I'll want my peace and quiet. That's why hospital has visiting hours. That's me. And 
Job, I could not be as patient as Job was. Seven days, some three men are sitting around you and sores all over you, scraping the sores, and they're watching you and you, got dirt, you have ashes on your head. No hairstyle. I said to my assembly that if this was me, day number one, I'll ask them to leave. I said, if you guys have nothing to say, you can go. Take care of your family. Go take care of business home. And they just said, we'll stay. And second day go by, I said, can you all leave me alone? Can you all give me some privacy and some peace and quiet? But Job sat there for seven days and he did not say anything. And then on the chapter three came all the things that were bottled up in Job that he never knew he had. See, the negatives in your life is to bring to the surface things that you got there that you never knew you had. And it will come to the surface and you must be able to overcome it. You hear that? Uh, much, much of that mentioned in the last lesson that I preached. A penina was required to help a Hannah to seek after God. The negatives are necessary. Don't curse God. Don't curse the devil. Don't curse everything around you. Understand to adjust yourself to be an overcomer. Then in chapter 3, Job started to curse things. And I can't read the whole thing, but in chapter 3, verse 1, after this, Job opened his mouth and cursed his day. He's not cursing people. He started to curse the day he was born. I wish to God I was never born. Have you ever said that when you're going through bad time? When it's your time to die, would you be screaming and bawling and condemning everyone? Or can you go down peacefully? We had a saint in this church that I saw that wonderful spirit when she was ready to die. Sister Cynthia, Brother John. When she was ready to die, she sat in this church and was dying with cancer. And God will not heal every disease. Something is going to take your life. And she died here. She sat in this church, never complained not once of the agony and pain she had while she had cancer. And I saw her in her last days when she was on her deathbed. And she died as a champion. And they called me in. Brother John says, you know, she has a little bit of time because I think they were going to give her morphine. And she was going to be in sedation. And not be able to speak. And so Brother John called me and I went. And pastor is turning up at the saint's house, you know. And pastor is going now to give the last advice and last counsel. And it's so good. I've learned it is so good when I put what I want to do aside. And listen to what God wants me to do. That is why I don't come with notes. I have things written but I don't ever use it. Because I don't want to be locked in to what I have in mind that I want to say. I want to say what God wants me to say. And I walked into her room and I'm going there all ready to preach to her. And something said to me deep inside. She is completing her race. She has finished her course. She has kept the faith. You are still running your race. You're still trying to finish your course. You still haven't kept the faith. What will you have to tell her 
to advise her. There is nothing you can tell her. And so I went there and instead of giving her the mighty sermon, I asked her questions that I needed to know answers for. Life questions, not theological questions. Those things don't even do anything much to your soul. But I asked her life questions and she gave me three questions and she gave me answers like a matured minister would give you. And when I made decisions, especially on one of those questions that pertain to my own life, people criticized me for the decision I made. But I already knew that I had an answer from God while a child of God was dying on her sick bed and she gave me advice and admonition. And I pray to God when I'm ready to die, I'll die a death just like that. In spite of the pain and the agony, the peace and the confidence would overpower the pain and the agony. Wonderful way to die. And so there, there, here is Job and the Lord is taking Job through a process that when Job was really ready to die, he would be a different man altogether. And so of course the day he was born. He said in verse 11, why died I not from the womb? Why did I not give up the ghost when I came out of my mom's belly? I want to be stillborn. He forgot the blessings he had all of a sudden. Listen, don't condemn this man because you know all of these things in the book of Job that Job said that seems to be not the right thing to say. When the man accused him that you're not saying the right thing, God had them repent to him because God was processing this man. And when a person is going through a process, they can say anything that God would accept. You're not there to criticize them. And Job went on and he went on and he says, he says, why did the knee prevent me? Why didn't my mother squeeze my head with her knees? Why the breast that I should suck? I didn't need to be uh, breastfed. He says, now, if that happened, now I should have been, should have lain still and been quiet. You see, we put on the grave, everyone decide, rest in peace. Isn't that strange? We put on the grave, rest in peace. But a lot of people that put that rest in peace believe their loved one is somewhere else. But that's a good saying. Rest in peace is you will rest until the resurrection come. See, the Bible says that. Hold your finger in the book of Job. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 20, uh, chapter 26. In Isaiah chapter 26. <clears throat> maybe, uh, maybe this scripture was what Hymenaeus and Philetus uh, thought got fulfilled when Jesus was resurrected and some people came out of the graves. It says here, the promise that God had given Israel says, thy dead men shall live. Together with my dead body. And when Jesus was resurrected, they said individuals came out of the grave. But I feel that this together with my dead body is talking about the body of Christ. It's a little more than just the literal dead body of Christ that we're talking about. And they shall arise. So the song and the admonition says, awake and sing. Everybody say that. Awake. awake and sing, you that dwell where? In the dust. You see, a rest in peace 
until the resurrection. Awake and sing, you that dwell in the dust, for thy dew is as the dew of herbs, and the earth, the earth shall cast out the dead. There's coming a time when the earth shall cast out the dead. Uh, we must understand that. Here it says, it says, come my people. And so Isaiah says, come my people. Come my people. Are you about to die? Come my people. Enter into thy chambers. Enter into thy grave. Enter into thy sepulcher. And shut thy doors about thee. Hide thyself. Because there is no time in death. There's, when you die, it's not your mind is still alive. No, you're dead. You cease to exist. See, to, to, be, to be dead means it's the cessation of life. It's the conclusion of life. To be alive means there is no death. But to be dead means your life has ended. See, your life is ended. And so what you do? Come, my people, enter into thy chambers and shut thy doors about thee. Hide yourself as it were for a little moment until the indignation. You see, right now, it's a good time to die. Not at your own hands, but it's a good time if God takes uh, you away. Uh, the Bible tells us the righteous perish it, and none consider that they are taken from the evil to come. When men... When the Lord brings your life to an end, it means there are evil days coming ahead, but God is saving you from some of that. Who wants to live in a confusing world of evil and turmoil and, and sin? It's a good day to serve the Lord, but it's a sad day to look around and see what's happening in society. Hide thyself as it were for a little time until the indignation be passed. For behold, the Lord cometh out of his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth. That's when the Lord will return for, they, for their iniquity. And the earth also shall disclose her blood and shall no more cover her slain. There's coming a time when the earth, no one will remain dead, but God will resurrect some to everlasting life and some to everlasting condemnation. I believe in the resurrection of the dead. And uh, Paul talks about that, but Job is telling you here in Job chapter 3 of what happens when someone dies. It says with Kings, verse 14, uh, you would, he says, verse 13, Now, if I was dead, now I would have been lain, I would have lain still and been quiet. I should have slept, then I, had I been at rest. He says, with who? With kings, kings of the dead, <clears throat> with counselors of the earth which build desolate places for themselves, or with princes that had gold, the rich man, the poor man, we all have to die sometime. He says, verse 17, there the wicked cease from troubling. There the weary is at rest. There the prisoners rest together. They hear not the voice of the oppressor. They're not being beaten. Slaves are not beaten. When a slave dies, he's free from slavery. When a man in torment dies, he is free from torment. You see, death and reality of death is obnoxious, but it's also good to those that are suffering in this world. When a person is aching and tormented and they die, it's a good thing. 
rest in peace. And when I'm thinking of Premani, she was suffering, and God only know what <clears throat> knew. God knows what fate awaited her in the future. She went at the right time. And we must understand that. And that is why we prayed uh, that last service. We prayed, oh God, if it is your will, heal her. But if it is not your will, give her a fast and easy death with no agony. We prayed that prayer in that Wednesday night service. And you know, God, he answers prayer according to his will. His will be done. And so Job went on here and he talked about and there's so much more to be said. He says, verse, verse, you can read this when you go home, but verse 23, he says, Why is light given to a man whose way is hid and whom God had hedged in? He says, Why a man is still breathing uh, for my sighing coming uh, before I eat and my groanings are poured out like water. He says, I'm really suffering. Oh God, I thank God for uh, for why is life? Why am I still living? And so Job complained, and that was Job's job. That was Job's problem. We have got ten minutes more, and so I like to take you into another section of the scripture. And here in Acts, the uh, the twenty third and twenty fourth chapter mention is made. Paul is making some statements here, and this was the hope that the saints of God had: hope of the resurrection. Paul says, if in this life only we have hope, we are, should be men most miserable. If this is all we have, and one day we turn 70 or 75 and, or 80 and we die, and this is all, and that's the end of it, that's not good. But you know, uh, there is a resurrection, and we hope for that. And Paul here in chapter 23, uh, he is before the council, the Jewish council, and when Paul perceived that one part of the council were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out uh, to the council, men and brethren, I'm a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee, of the hope of the resurrection and of the dead am I called in question. He wanted to divide the group. The Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection. The Pharisees did. And so Paul says, I'm brought in uh, concerning the hope of the resurrection and when he had said that, there was arose a dissension among the Pharisees and the Sadducees. For the Sadducees, verse 8, say that there is no resurrection. And someone says, and that is why they were sad. <clears throat> you see, funny, but it's true. If you're living in this life without the hope of a resurrection, you will be sad. And in chapter 24, when Paul is brought before Felix, the governor... He made a statement here. He says in verse 14, he says, This I confessed unto to thee, that after the way which they call heresy, and if, you, if there are individuals that say, ah, I don't believe in that, I can't believe that there is a resurrection of the dead when you're dead, man, that's it, and no resurrection. Well, <clears throat> they call the resurrection heresy. That's not so. There, there is a resurrection. If there be no resurrection, Paul says, then Christ is not risen. And the hope we have is in the resurrection. So in this life, we have a life full of torment, trials, troubles, sicknesses, a turmoil, and there comes an end of it. But the end of it is not over. He says, uh, verse 15, and we have this hope towards God, which they themselves also allow 
that there should be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and the unjust. <clears throat> this is an elaborate subject, and we might even get into it further on tomorrow. But here in 1 Corinthians, we move over to 1 Corinthians, and I've got just a few minutes here uh, to conclude what I'm saying. In 1 Corinthians, uh, chapter 15, it is called the chapter of the resurrection. And Paul says, uh, in the first part of that, he says, verse 13, if there be no resurrection, if there, the possibility of a resurrection does not ever exist, never existed, then Christ is not risen. The fact that Jesus got risen gives us hope. He says, but if there is no resurrection, then Christ is still in the grave. And if Christ be not risen, our preaching is in vain. I'm wasting time talking to you. I would not be preaching to you today if I did not believe there would be a resurrection. He says, and your faith is also in vain. You're wasting time serving God. For if the dead rise not, verse 16, then Christ is not raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is in vain and you're yet in your sins. Then they which are fallen asleep in Christ, like Paul, like Stephen, like everybody, what we're looking back today, Moses, David, they're in the grave. <clears throat> Nobody has gone up to heaven. They're all in the grave. They're sleeping. And that is why the earth shall cast out its dead. I know the Bible says, absent in the body, present with the Lord. Well, the next event, when you're a Christian, you're absent in the body, then you'll be present with the Lord. But the Lord will not resurrect the living. He will resurrect the dead. And Paul says here in chapter, chapter 15, verse 35, How are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? I mean, the dead. We're talking about the dead coming to life. We're not talking about zombies. We're talking about a change. When this mortal shall put on immortality, and this corruptible shall put on incorruption. Paul says, some will say, how are the dead raised and with what body do they come? He says, thou fool, that which thou sowest cannot be quick and except it die. You can never take a green mango and plant a seed. A seed cannot be planted when it's green. And if it was not for the limited time I have, I'd tell you about stories I read in our school reader where a man was sent out to plant potatoes. And he tell them the best way to plant the potatoes is to boil them. So when you reap, you get reap, you reap boiled potatoes. But really and truly, he wanted to eat the potatoes and fool the farmer that he was planting potatoes. Well, I'm telling you today, you don't resurrect the living. You have to be dead in order to be resurrected. And today, Paul is dead. <clears throat> Peter is dead. David is dead. All the saints, your mom is dead. Your grandpa is dead. All the prophets are dead. And when will they resurrect? They will resurrect at the resurrection. So Paul says here in verse, um, verse 36, Thou fool, thou sowest not, uh, thou that cannot quicken, uh, that which thou sowest is not quicken, except it dies. 
How will it come forward? He says, and every man, verse 23, uh, verse 22, as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. How? Every man in his own order. Christ is the first fruits. Christ is the first one that came back from the dead. Afterward. Afterward, they that are Christ when? At his coming. They that are Christ at his coming. Then come at the end. When Christ comes back, he will resurrect the dead. And so today, <clears throat> death has a sting. And death is powerful. But there comes a time, and as you move over to chapter 15, you've got a lot of scriptures to read. As you move over to the latter part of chapter 15, uh, here is how Paul says it will work. He says, when this corruption, verse 54, at the resurrection, he says in verse 53, this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. You are mortal. You're not immortal. <clears throat> when someone says you've got an immortal soul, that's not true. That's some pagan philosophy. Your soul is mortal. You are mortal. You are corruptible. He says, when this mortal, corruptible, <clears throat> verse 53, shall put on incorruption, and this mortal shall put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall put on incorruption, and this mortal shall put on immortality, then, 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 shall be brought to pass the saying that death is swallowed up in victory. When immortality is given to you, then you can say death has no sting. And then you can say, O death, where is thy sting? And O grave, where is thy victory? But death today has a sting. I listen, and I want to thank all of you for your kind words and for your prayers that has prayed for the family. But there uh, some, you know, the sisters, a few of the sisters are at my house and uh, they were there and they, they were there at the passing of their elder sister. And ever so often I hear a crying in a part of the house. And ever so often I hear a funny sound coming in a different part of the house. Someone else is groaning. You know what? We ought to cry. When Jesus approached Lazarus' grave, shortest verse in the Bible, it says, Jesus wept. We cry, not because we don't have hope. We cry because we have memories and we have fondness and we lost a loved one. Unless you're a callous, hardback uh, person that's unreasonable, you would not cry. I cry and we ought to cry when we have a tragedy. And that is something, and so Paul says, he says, Then shall be brought to pass the saying that is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? Today it has a sting. O grave, where is thy victory? <clears throat> well, today when I look at the grave, the grave has a victory. But at the resurrection, it will lose its victory. And it says, the sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who has given us the victory uh, through our Lord Jesus Christ. So therefore, my beloved brethren, here's what we do. <clears throat> because we have this hope, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Steadfast, unmovable, and always abounding. May God help us. May God help us to cherish this hope. Today, my talk about death and the resurrection, believe it, it was the tip 
of the iceberg. Well, we're glad we're in church today. We're glad we can, you can follow me online. And I want to say again, thank you to everyone that has prayed for the family. And for those of you that has supported the family during this time, for those, those of you that has dropped by, the, uh, by and brought, you know, like some wonderful food stuff for the family, I thank you on behalf of the family. And we pray you'll continue to pray for my brother-in-law in Alberta and uh, his daughters, two daughters and grandkids, that you'll pray that God give them comfort. Mm -hmm. Because when one is gone, the entire world for those around them is changed. Mm -hmm. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks today for this time we spent together listening to your word and hearing these uh, precious scriptures, Father, that you have left for us to read. Lord, our hope is the resurrection, but life sometimes is obnoxious. Life is full of trials. Life is full of testings, Father. Help us not to say vain words or to utter things that are contrary to your purpose and plan, but help us to endure unto the end to be unmovable, always abounding in your grace. Please, O oh God, we pray, let the hope and the desire to be in the resurrection continue to remain in our hearts, we pray. Once again, we pray that you'll strengthen the family. In Jesus' name we ask it, and for his sake, amen, and amen, and amen.